Are you ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> got your earbuds? Yeah, I got them in, so should be good to go. So I gotta ask you, because the podcast is called Behind the Wheel, are you always behind the wheel? Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. So living in Baltimore, in the inner city, I was present when the Freddie Gray riots occurred. Baltimore was actually the first city in America to come up with a essentially legal way to ban African Americans' property ownership within white residential areas. Nation is a two-sided marketplace where we introduce artisanal and emerging uh, brands, mainly snack brands, to consumers at key moments where they're most engaged. Hi, I'm Derek, and this is Behind the Wheel, a show dedicated to highlighting the accomplishments of ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things within the community. Check us out on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcast. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Wheel. I'm your host, Derek Oxley, and today we have a guest, Claire Janover. I wanted to uh, reach out to this young lady because I'm sure you guys have seen the videos and heard the stories. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, I'm, I'm doing as well as I think that somebody can do in this situation. I just want to make sure you can hear me, but I am so excited to be here. Yes, I can hear you fine. So I, I wanted to be able to talk with you. And first, how did you get started with activism? And, and, and before we even get into the actual TikTok video and what, what led you down that path? Yeah. I mean, short story, it was essentially something I grew up with. I think it's every conservative's nightmare, but my mom was an activist. Uh, women, gender studies, and African-American history teacher. Um, mm-hmm. And so I grew up, she was an activist. She had been arrested for protesting. She worked in the union. So it was something where I, it was normal for me to go to polling stations and to phone bank at the age of 10. So that was something that, you know, was so normalized to me. And it has always been something that's been extraordinarily meaningful to me. And mm-hmm. then, you know, longer story is that it's just been something that I've really cultivated over the past high school and college education of mine specifically, but, you know, it's something that I'm always learning and unlearning and, and trying to do better as well. Well, you seem to have really um, caught the attention of so many people. <laughs> now, I know in this, this age of social media and people do things for, um, attention yeah. or what have you. I just thought it was interesting to see someone like yourself reach out and stand up for something that you believed in. And, I, and I'm sure people are saying like, why, you know, why, why does she, why does she do this? Why is she saying this? Yeah. Why doesn't she just apologize? I don't understand. And so I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, what you would say to those people who seen the video. Yeah. So, I mean, firstly, I don't think that I should be congratulating on the back for for standing up for Black Lives Matter. I think that's something that everybody should do. It's, it's a human rights issue. It's a civil rights issue. It's not something that I've ever seen as, as you know, normal or okay for me to just, you know, put up a fist in my bio or a black square and not speak out on, especially prior to that video that I made a month ago that just blew up and prior to all of my box sensation, I've always been meaningful to me. Um, but in terms of, you know, why I haven't addressed or apologized for, you know, why didn't you avoid any semblance of violence? Why didn't you say it nicer and more polite? 
Um, it's something that I'm currently writing on ed that I've mentioned in my TikTok videos recently. Um, but right now, in the same way that I didn't prioritize condemning or addressing violent protesters over fighting for Black Lives Matter, you know, uh, it's not my priority to say that I, I should handhold you and be polite and kind through addressing the systemic and institutional violences and injustices perpetrated against Black America. And so I don't see what I did as, you know, immune from feedback and controversy, but I don't also see it as something that right now is my point. I, this isn't about me, this is about the Black Lives Matter movement and the broader picture. And I didn't want to distract or take away from the movement itself by focusing on my hurt feelings or the, the fact that I feel misunderstood right now. That's something that I can and will do in my op-ed and on here on the podcast, but at least on my platform with hundreds of thousands of followers isn't my priority moving forward. It is to continue to inform and educate and stand up. Yeah. So, but I, like, I have a diverse following. Um, something that I've just, you know, at, at, at points I may feel like just talking about a particular issue. And so from time to time, I may watch a, a story or see something unfold online and it catches my attention. And your story um, and how it was handled caught my attention. And that's why I wanted to cover it. So I posted it online and asked the question, you know, like, what do you guys think? You know, just just to get some some feedback. And even yesterday, I was sitting out with my family and my sister. I have two sisters that were there. One got very emotional about it. It was like, "What did you? What do you think about the video?" And she was almost brought to tears because she said, "You know, it's now is not the time to, you know, to be playing, you know, to be making those kind of threats." And I might, I think I have more of a comedic side. I'm not hee hee ha ha funny, hilarious, you know, doing stand up or whatever. But when I initially saw the video, I said, oh, okay, she's making this, this is an analogy. This is, she's making a point here. And it was not that, it wasn't that serious to me. And for my sister, though, it was, it, it seemed to be like a lot. And she, like I said, she was almost going to tears. I replayed it for it from the beginning. She's like, oh, okay, now I see what you're saying. Um, but I could see how people, would yeah. react to it and say, oh, this is this. And then I can see where it just becomes like, I'm really, is this really like a terrorist? And I'm like, yeah. okay, well, she doesn't, and maybe it's just the world that I grew up in. If I see, if I'm walking down the street, I'm like, okay, at night, I'm, I don't know if I would, I would say, oh, well, this might be safe. This might not seem like a threatening situation. And, and you very well might take me down. You know, I don't, I don't know. But it was, it did not seem, initially to me as as a threat and that was just yeah. my perception of it but uh, there were a lot of people who were saying oh this could be i could see how this could be mistaken as that and she should do she should she should apologize and like well i've seen apologies and then i've seen how apologies get like well now they're apologizing after the fact and i've seen mm -hmm. where 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 their missteps in corporations where they they'll do something that's outlandish and then come back and say oh my bad i'm sorry i didn't realize i'm like how could you not realize in this environment that what you just posted was offensive yeah and then they'll come I, back afterwards and do the apology yeah so i mean to speak to all of that i think when addressing the comment or the content of threat right because i've had so many phone calls with phenomenal phenomenal 
Black Lives Matter activists in the past few days and just people in general, lawyers as well, not for me, but just informing me on, you know, this isn't the first time in history where a satirical language or a satirical or a political comment, even if not meant to be satirical, has been interpreted as a threat. Um, and it goes back to, you know, Watts v. U.S., a Supreme Court case decided, uh, I don't actually know the year off the top of my head, but basically the court concluded um, that Watts' statement, which said, you know, I, anyone who, who does this is going to be the next, um, be, uh, let me look it up actually, but it dealt with hyperbolic statements of interpreted threats, right? And so from a legal perspective, right, although this isn't the one that touches America, um, so Watts's statement was, uh, I've already received my draft, and if I go to report for my physical on this Monday, I'm not going to, and if they make me carry a rifle, the first man I want to get in my sights is LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson. Um, and so that was interpreted as a threat, obviously not like, I'm going to stab you, but it was decided that the context regarding the explicitly and expressively conditional nature of the statement and the reaction of the listeners was not enough to overpower the language of political arena, which is often um, abusive, inext, hyperbolic, political, and satirical. Um, and so I get it. When I hear that I presented the Black Lives Matter movement in a negative light, it is something that I don't take lightly. I need to reflect on, I need to think about. But in the same way, as I said before, I, the claim that I made, had it been worded as, I'm going to present you with an analogy of if you were to be stabbed and then somebody came in and pointed at their pinky with a paper cut and said, my count matters too. It's getting along the exact same message. The only thing is that it wasn't done in a, that wouldn't be a satirical way of doing it. Mine was similar to, you know, if you, the same rhetoric of, oh, like defund the police. Like if you defund the police, I'm going to break in your house and see what you can do about it. And that was so common. That was spread. I mean, Right now, Donald Trump has said, I'll beat the crap out of you during a speech in Kansas City in 2016. He said, part of the problem is no one wants to hurt each other anymore. And those weren't, those weren't considered threats to the people that he was saying, you know, you know, fucker in the pussy, all these things that are so true. And I get it. I get that there are so many people who say, right now, you shouldn't be doing it angry, angrily, and you shouldn't be doing it with these violent words. Same as the people who say protests shouldn't be done violently or you shouldn't respond violently to police, you know? But I think that right now, as I said before, an emotional response, albeit one that I have to take accountability for because of my public platform, is one that we can't remove from people who are deeply, deeply hurt yeah. by this. And it's something that I'm not Black in America, I will never face the consequences and repercussions of being black in America. And so if I'm crucified at the cross right now, and if I'm the person that's the scapegoat for everything that conservative or all lives matter supporters want to, you know, attack their, their side to, but I redirect towards black lives matter and I end up donating the money. Well, I mean, I will end up donating the money, but when I do, end up donating the money to Black Lives Matter, that's a net positive to the Black Lives Matter movement. And that's what I care about. Um, yeah. In the same way that people who are emotional about the fact that it could be seen as dangerous, not, not clear, like obviously not if anybody has 
you know, critically sees and hears what I'm saying, but to anybody and to any context of that video that I posted over a month ago or almost a month ago, and that had 1000 likes before this blew up on Twitter is something that those people who liked it and commented originally all understood so easily. I didn't receive any, you know, this is dangerous, take it down. Or yeah. this is, this, this could present us down. Um, and it's obviously not my job to be guarded and, you know, educated to you know when I might be doing something wrong, but it's something that when taken out of context, which has been done to me, uh, extraordinarily. So it becomes less about that and more about, well, why are they responding with so much passion and hate? It's because they want a reason to, you know, discredit the Black Lives Matter movement and to paint me as this angry extremist, violent terrorist, and then associate that and just conflate it with Black Lives Matter and conflate it with allies in a way that it uses to their advantage everything that they want to to just, you know, cancel and dox, essentially. Because in reading the comments, it was almost as if, yes, we we got it. It's a victory. This has been occurring now for years, and finally, and I'm like, finally, finally, finally what? You've accomplished what? Because this video, and when I, when I played the first video, and then I played the second video, which I posted on, on uh, Instagram, in terms of the, the, where you're talking to yourself, and you're asking, you know, yeah. just, I said, this is, I think, is what it, is at the heart of the matter, is you have a bright, yeah. intelligent person, and so it's, it's the, the faces of everyone watching the video was like, wow, oh, I could, this, this is really threatening. Um, yeah. So the stabbing video is like, it's a TikTok video, whatever. It's the behind the scenes. It's, the, it's how you systematically express yourself. It's creative. Yeah. And it's not, it's, you can't, you just can't, you just can't dismiss it. As if, uh, and these are not loving, caring people. As I see, there was a um, a car over the weekend. Like the the highway was closed off, and you see this car who goes around the barricade, and he, he ends up killing a a, a woman. And in one yeah. of the comments, someone said, "Wow, does any am I the only one who feels bad for the driver?" For the, yeah. for the driver. So, I mean, these are not like, oh, I'm afraid we, we need to secure ourselves and we need to really be passionate and understanding. This is, this was, this was, this was all like, to me, it seemed like all trumped up fake. Yeah. I outrage. mean, the amount of comments that I received saying like, well, now I get to run over protesters or now I get to break into your house. These are threats that people want to have you know and it's suddenly like I was I I I get it I was simultaneously reduced and sensationalized into this violent person that you Mm -hmm. can't trust or listen to that was responding to the violence perpetrated against black America right like that was that was just disregarded because it didn't matter you know It, it what mattered was that I was the convenient you know way to stereotype and criticize Black Lives Matter, but also activism in general. Yes. And it's it's something that, you know, and as I, I stated on my Instagram, I'm I was the four-way intersection of finally, like finally we get to say and show that the Black Lives Matter is extremist and violent, 
Finally, we get to show what happens when cancel culture happens to you. Uh, finally, we can talk about the distasteful, liberal, indoctrinated elites. And finally, we can criticize this woman of color that's not black, so we can mm-hmm. criticize her without coming across as hating black people, right? Yeah. And all of that in combination with the emotions by which I made my TikToks and the ability for me to are to me to be simplified into Harvard girl Deloitte violent terrorist, right? Like that's yeah. something that I think about this and I I see the hypocrisy of everything. I mean, the hypocrisy of all lives matter. I mean, people saying all lives matter and white lives matter and blue lives matter have no problem with those blue and white parts, but they have a problem with black lives matter, showing clearly that the issue is the word black, right? Like they don't have a problem saying that one specific community that they feel is marginalized matters. Um, And again, I mean, that that goes back to like, no matter what people, people want to hate, not people, Mm-hmm. All lives matter and racist Americans want a reason to refuse to acknowledge that the state doesn't value all lives in the same way. They yeah. want and need a reason to discredit people who support it and conflate that with the movement itself. They want to reduce the problem of racism to individuals who they see as easy to attack. They want to be aggressive and colorblind and they want to not see the distinction between equality in terms of black and whites can go to the same schools and fairness in terms of accessibility, entrance, opportunity. And again, I don't want to make this about me. And I want to reiterate that I don't want this, want this to be about me, which is why I tried to take a step back. And I've made two TikTok videos in the past 24 hours about this. I thought that what was best for the movement was for me to remove my face and to remove my story, you know, because everything was just going to be used as a way to fuel dissociated and assassined character, uh, character uh, depictions of myself, you know? So I thought that me not speaking and duetting, which is like TikTok making a video next to a video of people who are also in the movement would not only increase the credibility, but also increase the solidarity understanding that people needed to see that not only was I not alone, but that I was heard as well. Um, but I spoke to two really phenomenal activists um, on TikTok, T. Nathan and Anthony, who I've tagged in my videos. And, you know, I, I realized that because of my platform of hundreds of thousands of people, I have a responsibility to include them in my decision-making process, even before I do something that's based on a decision. Um, and so I was waiting until my finalized op-ed was published in a news outlet or even published by me independently. But it was something that I didn't state that because I didn't want to seem like, oh, this is about me and my story because my op-ed is, is in my defense. It is in my narrative. You know, I can't force people to side or listen to me or accept my humanity, but I can speak on behalf of it. But ultimately, again, I, I was trying to to step back while mm-hmm. still not silencing myself and still not admitting that, you know, these scare tactics, these silent tactics, again, even separate from threats, let's say I didn't receive any threats because I think a lot of people like to say like, oh, it's easy to be afraid of threats. It's easier to be afraid, in my opinion, of tens of thousands of Americans coming at you and 
thinking that you're a violent terrorist and spreading that narrative and, and it being so popular that you're removed or your job offer is rescinded, you know, in a way that, that that's what they do. They try to take everything away from you. That's what doxing does. They try to take away your location and phone number and name and history and information and share it with everyone and remove that so that who you are is a map that's paved for you that they want to exist. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of what I've been doing, um, I know I'm an easy target and I, I wanted to speak to that, which is in my op-ed that hopefully like I just finished and I've been sending around and I've received a lot of positive feedback on, but again, you know, everything that I do is going to be used against me. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And it's one of those things where I've been gaslighted, weaponized, tokenized, and sensationalized so much that I didn't want to continue any negative contribution in any way to the Black Lives Matter movement. Although I can't deny that I might have and that I have, and I have to accept responsibility for that. But ultimately, and you know, what I'll, I'll keep saying is that is true, but that's not the priority. And right now I've had to be thinking in terms of priorities and my priority has been to stop distracting from the bigger picture and in my op-ed and in anything that I do moving forward, obviously I want to correct misinformation because it's so easy. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen people who think that I started the GoFundMe for myself. We see Mm -hmm. people who think that I never had the job or why to gain sympathy. We see people who think that I'm violent because they hear the un, like the, the not intact, they hear the sound bite. Oh, I'm going to stab anyone who says all lives matter, you know, and that's, that's their perception. I had so many black lives matter supporters, activists, influencers reach out to me and say like, is, is this true? and talking with them, you know, but what it aims to do, firstly, because I'm a young woman, um, but secondly, because I am in the spotlight right now is, is gaslighting me. It's just in every way possible to say, well, because she's untrustworthy in this way, like those who support her shouldn't even like, they're stupid too, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I think that that's something that has been very evident and has been something that's been difficult to see just like misinformation, not just misinterpretation, right? Like misinterpreting my TikTok as a violent terrorist threat, I think yeah. is a misinterpretation. I think it is foolish. I think it is incorrect. But I, I think that when you read something like this girl raised $10,000 for herself for a job that she said she got fired from that she didn't have, right? Like that's, that was a narrative that was out there about me. I get how that forces everyone to reflect and to question um, my validity, right? Um, but it was I your also, friend who actually started the, um, started the GoFundMe. Yeah. Yes. I'm also, I put, I'm putting in my headphones so that uh, the construction doesn't get in the way. Um, but yeah, so again, and I talked to people and they were open and I said, I did not start the GoFundMe. I didn't, I did have a job. I provided photos of it. It's just, there's language that can be used. It's as if I said, I don't go to Harvard University because I go to Harvard College, but just saying I don't go to Harvard University because technically me going to Harvard College is correct as well. You know, it's just something that the semantics of it can be used in like an an incomplete narrative Mm -hmm. that they want so badly to be true. 
and to use against me and to weaponize and to sensationalize um, in a way that it's as if somebody were to say, you know, or again, I don't need to make these analogies. I think, I, I think I've been, uh, you know, you know, come at enough analogies, but it's just been something that. No, I can, however you want to express yourself is is fine. Like I watched a, a police officer and he was doing a TikTok and he was talking about folks were defunding, uh, you know, talking about Mm -hmm. defunding the police. And what he said, what he found funny was they were asking for then, you know, police protection on their protests about defunding the police. And I can see the irony in that. I thought that was funny, yeah. but it doesn't mean that, like, when I watched that clip, I said, that's, that's irony. I could see the irony. Yeah. There. And it wasn't like, oh, this guy is a hateful cop. He was a white officer. But I didn't, yeah. I didn't feed into all of that. It's just, okay, that was irony. That is funny. Yeah. You know, you want to defund, but you want police protection. Yes, no one is saying that, that we don't want police protection. They're saying yeah. we don't want to be choked out, or we don't want, we just don't want to be killed indiscriminately and with no yeah. repercussions. It's two different, two different I conversations. Agree. Yeah, yeah. And those conversations are, are had among people who want to understand what it is, but people who don't, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. there's a standard of perfectionism that, is one not a, not achievable, not and therefore, therefore, you know, no one is going to hear defund the police or Black Lives Matter. That is inherently racist and inherently bigoted. That's going to say, hmm, like maybe, maybe I need to read into that. Like maybe I can understand that saying Black Lives Matter doesn't say that other and all lives aren't important and matter as well. Just as in the way saying like oh, you know, protect my freedom of speech, but also, like, protect other rights, too. Or saying, like, let's fundraise for cancer, but obviously other terminal illnesses matter, too. You know, like, they're not drawing those connections, and they're not seeing the hypocrisy in their ignorance. And that's something that, as I've learned from this and have always known, whatever is the loudest is what is shared by people who don't want to learn, you know, it's, that's what fake news is. And, and so again, it just is heartbreaking and outraging that you can do everything right. You can say everything correct and people won't care if they're intent on standing against you or the movement that you are, are advocating for. Yeah. And I, I just, um, when I, when I think about you can just not to exclude you from the conversation, but when, when you think about young people who are who may be coming up behind you, or even in, in, even at this in this same period right now that we're living in, and feeling as though you know I have a voice, but should I say something uh, yeah. at the risk of being you know my my future? being yeah. uh, in jeopardy because if I say something and it gets misconstrued, uh, how do I respond from, you know, if, yeah. and it's taken out of context and now, and now what, what should I do? It's easier. It's much, you know, yeah. easier to just it's kind terrifying. of stand on. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't I mean, want completely. people to be discouraged. I don't want folks to be discouraged. I think, yes. Yes. I think what becomes more threatening is it's not even so much the TikTok videos, the, the whole idea of, different people, different faces coming together and saying, you know, 
racism, systemic racism, you know. Yeah. It's just wrong. Can we, we could just say that and, and like, okay, and just move forward yeah. steps to do it. Yeah. The constant denial is, is, is just, I think, become, it infuriates people even more. And what I've realized in that is, again, the discouragement comes from these scare tactics, these, oh, like, because this girl was, you know, because this girl was fired and discredited or she's, you know, kicked out of Harvard. I haven't been. Um, but all these things like that they want, they can use that as a way to continue to silence people who have insight and passion and a future in standing up for what they believe in. And the fact that you have to fear sacrificing your future is something that I want to show isn't the outcome. Right. And so when I, when I expressed emotionally, but in my mind, still powerfully a video of me crying that I had gotten fired. I wanted to show that you can cry and fight at the same time. You can be sad that you yeah. lost something and still see that there is always a way forward. I want Deloitte to be held accountable, not only for firing somebody or a statement that they made in favor of a human rights issue and in for racial injustice or against racial injustice, but I also want them to take credit for gaslighting me continually. You know, it is very different to release a statement as to we terminated her job because, you know, it was interpreted as the threat of violence. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck they want to say. And it's another to aim to continue to, to just diminish a woman and diminish somebody in order to say like, this is not, this is an isolated event, you know? And then, but that's not how people who are afraid to speak up see it. Like there are so many people in my DMs and my friends who are like, I support you, but I commented and I got harassed. Or I know that if I were to make a post about you, I would get harassed. Like it's, you have to be brave to put yourself out there, but that's a bravery that I would never ask of someone which is why I have not asked anything of anyone this entire time. And I will stand by that. I didn't ask for money. I didn't ask to be heard. I didn't ask for, you know, people to make videos about me. I've never done that. But the bravery I want to show is something that will be met with support. That's yeah. why I do edit videos from those powerful Black Lives Matter TikTokers with adamant millions of followers because... The people who are trying to scare you want you to feel alone and they want you to feel like you've lost everything. Yeah. Neither of which I will ever, ever say will happen to somebody who's fighting for the right side of history. Right. And it's something that will be terrifying and it will, you know, to put it for the dumbest possible people out there, like it sucks, you know, and I've said that, but it's something that there needs to have, there needs to be these people in the same way that I would never run for a president I admire the bravery of anybody who will, you know, yeah. but that doesn't mean that I don't want to stand up for presidents that I support or stand up for a future that I support. Um, and I don't want to discourage people and I want to let these doxing cancel culture harassers who send death threats, who DM my family members and friends and tell them that they're supporting a terrorist. You know, I want to show them like, you can't, you're not going to win. This isn't something that you can just keep doing and not expect somebody to emerge more powerful from. And that is ultimately what I want people who might be discouraged or might be tempted to 
you know, not make more comment content or delete old videos of theirs where, you know, their anger could be used against them yeah. when right now, like your anger is valid. Like, don't be afraid of being the angry black man or woman. Don't be afraid of being the emotional and crying person of color. Like that's something that we shouldn't have to think about, but we do. But, you know, if you get called out for it in the same way that I got called yeah. out for what I did there, we're going to be there for you. You know, like yeah. we're, we're going to be there for you. And that's something that has been very powerful for me to realize in all of this. Yeah, we send a, a double message, you know, growing up as like a, as a, as a young black man, a young black boy at the time. It's just like, don't cry. What are you yeah. doing? You know, brush man up. You know, it's like, so now you, you create a, 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 an environment where you're telling people not to express feelings. And so then you have grown men not, not being able to yeah. talk to express feelings because we've told them that we've been conditioned, don't do this. And if you yeah. do this, if you're crying or if you apologize, you're expressing yeah. weakness. So it's these double messages. And so you'll have the, you'll have someone say, well, I'm not, I'm going to take a stand. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm doubling down. It's, it's doubling down when, when it's convenient. If you're taking a stand, yeah. then all of a sudden, you know, you're being defiant yeah. because you're not. I mean, then, yeah. It's so many, it's, it's, it's yeah. not just black it's and white. Yeah. And I, I would, as a hiring manager, you know, you, you're conducting an interview with someone and, you know, you, I would always wonder if someone, you know, is talking, they're talking negatively about their previous employer. It would be a red flag because it was something that I'm concerned yeah. about. And, and I guess it depends on how you say it and how, how it's said, but Typically, in, in management books, you have people who think a certain way. Yeah. And so you can, people learn, okay, don't say that. But then when you hire them, you find out this is how they felt anyhow. So I would rather, yeah. it will be a red flag going up. And I guess it depends on what, they, what they're saying and what we're saying mm -hmm. and, and how then it's interpreted. But you'll have people who traditionally would think a certain way. But this generation is just different. People are not waiting 10 years on a job, you know, yeah. working their entire lives for waiting for a gold watch. It's like yeah. I have value, and if you don't recognize my value, then I will take it to another organization that's maybe in line with my, yeah. my beliefs. I mean, so being headstrong and being active and passionate is something that is more and more empowering. Which in the in the past it wasn't. I remember conversations with my mom where she would she cried while giving me pamphlets and information about rape statistics and the importance of not walking alone or wearing certain clothing. And it's in the same way that black children are told, don't walk with your hands in your pockets. Don't put your hood up. Don't look like a thug. It doesn't matter how empowering that might be to you. It doesn't matter how empowering as a young woman, it might be to wear shorts and a tight fitting outfit. Um, you're putting yourself at risk and it's a sadness. And my generation of people who were nurtured with that belief are coming out and saying, you can recognize the truth in that. You can't deny that. But it's something that the unfairness of having to be told that before you even comprehend, you know, the future, you're told that at such a young age is something that we need to push back against. And I think that that's what we're doing by saying, I get you know, that somebody is fired from their job for speaking out on an issue, you know, whether it be Black Lives Matter or, you know, 
I don't know, Reagan economics, whatever you want to say that you're doing on either side. But there's a difference between recognizing that and supporting it. You know, you can recognize, yes, as, you know, a person of color, you have to understand that almost everything you do is going to be generalized to your identity. You know, like Asian, woman, Black, woman, man, you know, gay, all these things. Like, it's always going to be that, like, you're representing that community, you know, in a way that white people aren't. And you can recognize that, but you can, we are, we are pushing back on it and people older people are either choosing to to listen and accept that or continue to push back on the traditions or the the scare tactics used you know the scare tactics of if you wear shorts and walk alone you'll get raped if you run with a hoodie how come you don't expect to think that somebody thinks you're robbing you know all these things it's just like just because it's the way that life has been doesn't mean it's the way that life should be yeah. and will be moving forward. And I think that that's something that then going to an interview and saying, yeah, I had a really negative experience with my past employer, you know, being more transparent in that, I understand how that's off-putting to an employer, but I also understand how that's an honesty, right? And if defended and supported in a way that's rational and reasonable is something that should also be supported, you know, yeah. in how to conduct yourself right? Like you can conduct yourself peacefully. I can sit on TikTok and sit and, and type word for word, everything I'm saying and have 30 people read it over and make sure that it cannot be twisted in any way. Or I can say, I get how me saying like, I'm a stab you is going to be weaponized against me and interpreted as a weapon, but I can also say it shouldn't be right. And I think that's something that's been very empowering is this distinguished understanding or this understanding between you know, what is and what can be and what should be and what will be empowering and what we need to say louder than what is now, you know? Um, and I think that that's the same thing in terms of, you know, telling people like telling young, I mean, my mom taught at an inner city in New Haven, inner city high school in New Haven, where every year, and this is in their, you know, on their website, everything, they have an entire webpage of, students who have been killed while at high school and almost all of them are black or Hispanic Latino. And it's something that it was common for me from the age of seven, when my mom started working there to be going to funerals for 15, 16 year old boys who had been involved in drugs, which they shouldn't have been involved in in the first place because of a system that works against them. Right. Or even if they were shot first, like by either a police man or woman or just involved in a wrong society you know but again it's not like it's not something that because of that I think like we need to be teaching people how to do better because then you're saying for the people who aren't who don't have that nurturing protection to tell them don't do this like you're basically letting them be the ones who are hurt them be the ones who are at risk and vulnerable towards violence and injustice um in a way that we're trying to reduce moving forward. You know, this is a stance. We are an emblem, whether we like it or not with an influence, you know, if I'm, if I'm that person who is canceled, I am that person who can say this can happen and will happen, but it shouldn't. Here's why, you know? Um, and yeah, so I, that was long winded, but it it goes to speak that. Yeah. I was done. (laughs) No, it's fine. You, You talk about your mom, 
and it, it, people, I guess, make assumptions about this privileged yeah. um, life. And um, and going in and finding out about you, there's not this privileged life where you are yeah. um, sort of like excluded <laughs> from any any pain. Your, your mom, yeah. from what I understand, is is so. Before I even get to that, I read a, a statement. One of the guys was like, one of the comments was like, "I'm surprised that you know an Asian woman would say something like this. You, they typically mind their business and excel in school." I'm like, "This is." Was, I, yeah, I'm like, yeah. this couldn't be like, did you just really type this out before you, before you have give, actually given any thought to what you were saying? But people, I guess, make assumptions about this privileged yeah. um, life. And, um, and going in and finding out about you, there's not this privileged life yeah so i mean to speak on this again to speak to your the the comment you know like they typically like asians typically mind their business and do well in school it's the same people who are commenting or making videos there are videos saying like this girl's fucking stupid or i don't know if i can swear this girl is stupid and irresponsible and violent but she's hot though like i'd still fuck her or i'd still sleep with her you know in a way that that's 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 it that is like i am so disconnected from their like I'm the Asian woman and I'm also the violent person, but they're either combined when it's convenient or disassociated when it's not. And in terms of my mom, I mean, and I, again, it speaks to no matter how much adversity I can speak to, like I can say I was raised by wolves in Hungary or in, you know, the depths of a cave and it still won't be enough. I can't convince people of my humanity and any attempt to talk about the adversity that I faced is seen as, a victimizing tactic on my part. And it's something that I grew up in urban poverty in lower class, New Haven, Connecticut. I moved eight times before I was 18 because my mom and I struggled with housing insecurity, but all through that, I will not deny the privilege I had. My mom worked in education. It was a startup charter school, um, in inner city, New Haven. So it was different than if she had worked at a private school or even a well-funded public school but I had access to education and intellect from a young age. I also acknowledge that when in high school, I went to a high school outside of New Haven, just 10 minutes outside, but that 10 minute distinction makes a difference. vastly improved my education. It, my mm-hmm. school was 95% white. It was a public school still, but I got in through New Haven Choice Program, but it was something that I benefited from. I also know that looking back on it, my mom was on unemployment for two years of my high school. So I'm very familiar with the system. I've been familiar with filing taxes, paying for things, working. I was financially, you know, responsible for myself at the age of 14. I I worked, I've worked, I've always worked in college. I've worked a minimum of three to five jobs. My My 401k can show that, my whatever I9s. And but I don't have to prove that. And so my mom had cancer four times throughout my life. She had a stroke when I was 15 and all of these things, you know, me having experience with the, you know, with child protective services at the age of seven, at the age of 13, it's something that I don't need to share. It's irrelevant to black lives matter. You know, it's irrelevant. My story is my story and it's not changing, but then I, I look towards, you know, people who are like, oh, I'm sympathetic to the fact that you are stupid and violent because your mom died. My mom died a slow and progressive death. It was her yeah. fourth time with cancer. 
Uh, I drove home every weekend for chemo and radiation throughout my entire sophomore and junior year of college. I took time off because when she passed away, I was both her executor of estate, power of attorney. Um, and I, I covered the responsibility of breaking the lease for the apartment that we rented, you know, all of these things that yes, like I have faced adversity, but have I ever faced a fear for my life or have I ever faced injustices because of that? No, it's been a disadvantage. It's Mm -hmm. been an adversity similar to these white people who claim the white proverb of like white privilege doesn't exist because there are richer black people than me. Like it's irrelevant to systemic institutional and pervasive injustice, right? I know that I had an institution, I had Harvard behind me, helping me. I had throughout my entire life, education by my side and behind me. I had an empowered mom who never made me question that my voice mattered in a way that if I had grown up wealthy in an elite environment and white conservative, you know, would have been different. And it's something that I think that that might provide context or compassion maybe, but still had I said what I said, absent of all of that, I still want people to understand it's important. And I still want to understand that you can be an ally and have privilege and acknowledge that, you know, or you can be an ally who's had adversity, who's known, you know, a student who knew Amud from West Haven, who was killed a year ago in West Haven, Connecticut, who I knew in high school, who was just killed by the cops, even though they knew that he had diagnosed schizophrenia. You know, that's something that is I need people to hear and I yeah. need people to focus on. Yeah, it, it is, it is, um, it is a lot to, to, to digest. I remember seeing in, I think it was in Tulsa, not too long ago, a gentleman was in the hospital. He was released from the hospital and because of his violent behavior, he then goes and stands on a, uh, on an ambulance for three hours. Yeah. And they waited for three hours. The yeah. police were on scene. The fire department was on scene. The EMS was present. Yeah. A crowd is building. And they waited. He was high off bath salts. He didn't yeah. get choked out. He didn't die. Exactly. You know, they just waited for the high to come down. And then they just took him into custody. After exactly. three hours. So it is after three hours, they have patience because, and and it's just, it's infuriating. And we know this, but the fact that they justify this violence, this implicit violence that is, you know, so impulsive because we're conditioned to think that black Americans are dangerous. And that justifies not waiting three hours because you think they're more dangerous or you think that they cause a threat and that thinking that, well, we don't know if they're a threat. They could have had a gun. We don't know if Trayvon Martin, you know, had a gun. It's okay, you know, but you don't say that to the fact that a mass shooter is taken out peacefully, unharmed from a school building. Yeah. Um, You don't think that when you see a white woman pointing a gun at at a black family, saying, get away from me, I'm threatened by you. We don't think of her holding the gun as a threat. We yeah. think of it as a defense. We think of it as, as not dangerous because Karen is just the mom who drives kids to soccer. But, you know, Trayvon and George are, are like the thugs, the dangerous criminal victims yeah. or the dangerous criminal perpetrators of violence that is killing 
and incriminating and in just, you know, incarcerating at a massive rate, these people of color, these Hispanic and black people, predominantly black men for an unfair amount of time because they don't have access to fair representation. They don't have access to resources. They are encouraged to accept unfair and incomplete plea deals without understanding that you can't, you know, you should be able to speak on your behalf, right? Like these are things that don't happen in our public defense and public prosecution system. And that's a bigger conversation. So when people say like, oh, like only a couple people have died, like Briona, like Elijah, that sucks. But like, that's, you know, that not that many people die. It's like, that's not just the movement. The Black Lives Matter yeah. movement is not just this, you know? And like people want that tunnel vision of something to... It's convenient. <laughs> yeah. To a scapegoat as to why, you know, it's like, it's like reading an entire resume of somebody and then saying like, oh, like this person, um, like, mm, like they, I don't know, they worked for Planned Parenthood. So like, because I don't agree with that, like their entire resume is disqualified, you know, in a way that like they then look at Trump's resume and say like, oh, but he like he's passionate about the economy and disqualify the rest. And they don't mind that, you know, it's like, they see what they want to see and they, they criticize what they want to criticize. And that's something that, you know, the louder they do it, the more traction they gain. And that is disheartening, but it's also not something that should be, or ever will be discouraging even to silent allies or non-performative allies, you know, in a way where you don't have to make a TikTok, you don't have to have a podcast channel, you don't have to have a following of more than just your classmates. But it also begins with those conversations at your table that you don't necessarily want to have with your dad or mom who might say, you know, I support Black Lives Matter, but like that girl was just a little bit out of hand by by doing it in a threatening way, by saying that's not the point, you know? Um, and I think that that's where this begins and that's where it will, it will spread. And I, I'm so fortunate that that is happening now. Those conversations are happening because of the mass media movement that Black Lives Matter, that George Floyd and Michael Brown had started and that bring light to Elijah and Breonna and Trayvon that would normally not be because there are stories that aren't filmed that aren't told. Racism is not getting worse. It is just getting filmed and documented and spread by people with that influence. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule. I certainly do appreciate it. And I know you, you know, thank you so so much. You know, um, because I I don't, I think it's only one side of the story getting told and there's, it's always two sides. So, Thank you so much again. Um, and please let me know if you need anything. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm more than available to talk anytime in the future. But okay. thank you so much. You're welcome. Enjoy your day. Have a good day. Bye-bye.